Hi, thank you for joining me. I'm Yolanda and I'm reading to you from the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832-1914. And um, this episode begins halfway through chapter 8, um, following on from the previous episode. And this section is entitled Miss Clark and we're on page 60. Let's begin. Following the death of my wife Bertha, the months of the fall and winter of 1896-7 passed on leaden feet. Though filled with duties of various sorts connected with the affairs of the church, in the late summer of 1897 I received an invitation to attend a conference to be held in October in the city of Toronto, Canada, which I decided to accept. While attending this meeting, held in St Andrew's Hall, I met the family of Alexander Clark a teacher in the church who resided on a farm some 60 miles north of the city. Among these was a daughter, Ada Rachel, whose acquaintance I had first made a year and a half before when attending the spring conference of the church at Kirtland. Meeting the young woman again in Toronto, I became interested in her and resolved to seek more of her society if possible. The desired opportunity for further acquaintance was made possible through the family of brother Thomas R. Seaton, a machinist at the Bank of the Dominion of Canada, at whose home I was a guest while in the city. Miss Clark was often invited to their home and I soon found that the warm friendship I conceived for her was ripening into love. I made the matter a subject of earnest prayer, inquiring as to whether or not I should again be blessed in seeking companionship as a re-establishment of my home. In answer, I received such ample and satisfactory manifestation that I decided to ask this young woman if she would become my wife, immediately writing her father asking permission to seek the daughter's hand in marriage. My letter resulted in her being directed to return to her home at once, which she did. What occupied in the family conclave in that farm home during her visit there, as they considered this to them totally unexpected proposal, I do not know, nor is it within my providence to attempt to find out. I had laid my case fully before the sturdy countryman, and I may venture to presume that to my own appeal was added some argument or admissions of favour from the young woman herself. At any rate, the result was that the parents' consent to my suit was obtained and she promised to become my wife, thus justifying the answers I'd received to my prayer. To my prayers. I left Toronto to attend to some church matters in Pittsburgh, Washington and Richmond, in the which labours I felt happily blessed. I agreed to return to Toronto in time to eat Christmas dinner with Brother Seaton and his family, and so a few days before that festival found me again in the Canadian city. There I attended the meetings of branch. There I attended the meetings of the branch, made acquaintance with many of the saints, and enjoyed a week or more of pleasant association with my promised bride. The day of January the twelfth had been set as our wedding day, and about the first of the month we prepared we repaired to her father's home to spend the intervening time away from the curious and Julian friends in Toronto. The home of Brother Clark was near the little town of Waldemar, 
not far from the railroad station of Grand Valley. I was glad of this opportunity to meet other members of this large and interesting family, many of whom were at home and others lived nearby. I found them eminently respectable and of good repute and standing in the neighbourhood, their father being considered one of the most exemplary peacemakers in the countryside around him. He was Scotch and his wife was English, though their marriage had taken place on this side of the big pond which separates Canada from their native shores. The family was well known in the neighbourhood, having at one time been members of the Presbyterian Church there. Miss Clark had played the organ for the local congregation for a number of years, but when the family left the Presbyterians to join our church, they were viewed with displeasure by their former religious associates. Now when it was noised about that a Alexander Clark's bonnie lass, Ada, was about to marry a Mormon prophet, there was much indignation, a storm of protestation and a veritable blaze of the elements. Rumours from mouth to ear and in the little local papers were many and rife with awful things, setting forth the evils and the dangers of such a contemplated marriage and the affront it would give their local society in general. But the storm we had raised did not disturb us, for resting securely in the consciousness of the restitute of our conduct and the righteousness of the step we were taking in the presence of the consenting family and that of a few selected guests on the 12th day of January 1898 at 1.30 o'clock in the afternoon, Sister Ada Rachel Clark and I exchanged vows of marital responsibility before Elder Richard Charles Evans minister of our church and popular throughout Canada, who performed the ceremony and gave us his blessing. It may be interesting as an illustration of how widespread was the prejudice against me for successfully suing for the hand of the estimable um, young Canadian lady to know that when I waited upon the man authorised to issue, issue licences to marry and had given him my name, he asked me to what church I belonged. <laughs> Do the duties of your office require you to make such inquiry, I asked. He hesitated and seemed a bit disconcerted, even blushing at the frankness of my question, and answered, no, sir. Of course, I told him to what church I belonged, who I was, and who my father was, as far as church connections were concerned. I told him also that I had no objection to answering his question, but had just felt some curiosity as whether the law imposed upon him the task of obtaining such information. A friendly conversation ensued. He seemed a very gentlemanly and kindly disposed man, but was evidently one who previously had harboured a good many suspicions of me and my integrity. Our wedding dinner was eaten at Brother Clark's hospital table, and then in company with Brother Seaton's family and others, we returned to Toronto, attending the midweek prayer service at St Andrew's Hall. The next day, suitable arrangements were made for the trip to Lamoni. We bade goodbye to the friends we could reach and left the city about four in the afternoon. We arrived in Chicago on the morning of the 14th and in Lamoni about noon next day to find the ground whitened with snow and the weather quite cold. I had not discussed with my new companion the nature of the home awaiting her nor very much concerning the family with whom she was now to be associated. There were few people at the station as the train pulled into the little village. 
but among them was Uncle Christopher Danielson, commissioned with team and carriage to convey us to Liberty Hall. The short journey was quickly and comfortably accomplished, and I will let the reader judge of the kind of reception accorded us there when I state that in response to the invitation of the daughter in charge of my home, and under her management, a great concourse of relatives had gathered at Liberty Hall to welcome us. got emotional again <laughs> you know I'm reading this so that I can um, listen to this myself and go over it because I have a fondness for Joseph Smith III and he does come across as even though he's very um, capable and um, you know there's a lot that he's achieved um, he wants the comforts of home the comforts of a home life and I think it's amazing that this uh, this um, Rachel Clark, Ada uh, Rachel Clark, that the faith that she must have had to accept this proposal and for everything to turn out okay, because there are there are men not that are not great to marry. I married my first husband after not knowing him long, uh, my second husband not knowing him long, and really I they weren't good for me but in the case of Joseph Smith III the women that married him they were marrying a good man that was dedicated to them and um, I just find it really lovely that um, they've returned to this that he's um, he's offered invitation of marriage and um, returned home and his daughter has arranged for this this party to to greet the new wife and how she must feel how she must have felt in trepidation i mean this journal this history is from joseph smith iii's um point of view i wonder what the point of view is or of all of the wives that he's had of um emmeline of bertha and of ada i would like to read um, what they have to say but um anyway this this makes me emotional um, let's carry on. So I'll reread that again. I state that in response to the invitation of the daughter in charge of my home and under her management, a great concourse of relatives had gathered at Liberty Hall to welcome us to partake of a bountiful feast prepared for the occasion. This part of my homecoming was as much a surprise to me as to my bride. As the carriage drove up the circular driveway and stopped in front of the central door, there on the steps stood my brother, the genial patriarch, Alexander H. Smith, with one or two others attending. As the broad door swung open, there they re were revealed, old and young, kids and kin, the whole family clan. He doesn't say kids, he says kith. <laughs> um, the whole family clan extending smiling greetings, loving hand clasps and affectionate caresses. It was indeed a royal and characteristic welcome and did much to reassure the young women who had consented to become so intimate a member of a family, hitherto unknown and strange to her. Who shall say there was not considerable romance connected with courtship? marriage and homecoming under such conditions as these I have related. No lord of the manor 
in the olden and chivalrous days ever left his home, his ancestral halls or moated castle to fare for in search of a companion for himself and a mother for his orphan children who returned with a fairer bride and none was ever greeted with a more loyal, loving and wholeheartedly joyous reception than was accorded this pair fresh from the dominion of Queen Victoria in the Northland. As I have said, I love my first wife with that ardent love that usually... As I have said, I love my first wife with that ardent love usually cherished by young and domestically inclined men for the companions they have chosen out of the world. In a little over 12 years of married happiness, her life snuffed out and she was laid to rest near the flowing Mississippi in Nauvoo. Married, my married life with my second companion was a pleasant, was a very pleasant, placid and happy one and continued for 27 years with our mutual marital regard and esteem undisturbed and unbroken to the last. When her strong, robust life was cut short by an untoward accident, I married this my third companion for the purpose of keeping my home intact and preserving that domestic environment which has even been essential to my happiness. I do not hesitate to say that I have found in this last marriage an element of romance similar to that of my first, with the added influences of a careful and studious regard coupled with the characteristics of devotion, love and esteem seldom experienced by a man who marries for the third time. I am safe in saying that few incidents let me repeat that. I am safe in saying that few instances of married life under these conditions have been happier than mine. Seldom has a man in public life who has married a third time been more blessed in that later companionship than I have been. And it adds to my joy that my children and my children's children have shown an affectionate and undiminished regard for the woman I chose with whom my life is now quietly passing. She has borne me three splendid sons, Richard Clark, December the 26th, 1898, William Wallace, November the 18th, 1900, and Reginald Archer, January the 8th, 1903. With these, we were moved from Lamoni to Independence in August, 1906, where we established a home at 1214, West Short Street and where we are now spending the quiet, peacefully happy days according to a harmonious and a harmony loving family. That is the end of um, that chapter, the end of chapter 8. I will continue with the next chapter in the next episode.